There are two reasons to watch the Super Bowl. The first is the game. And the second is the commercials. I see you guys know this already. For those of you who have watched the Super Bowl in years past, how many of you have watched it for the game? Chad, I know you have. You're a Steelers fan. You're not always up for disappointment. Vikings fans, well, we won't talk about it. There's some that have watched it for the games, but who in the audience today has watched the Super Bowl for the commercials? More hands go up. Yep, I've done that as well. When I was in high school, the day after the Super Bowl, you could go through the halls and you would hear two conversations. There were just a few people that were actually talking about the game. But by and large, most people were asking this question, what was your favorite commercial from yesterday? People will talk all day about these commercials, and hopefully they'll keep playing on over and over and over again for us to enjoy. But for a little over $5 million, advertisers will spend the whole year trying to develop a commercial that will stick with you for the whole year. For just 30 seconds, they'll try to sell you their product for just a little over $5 million. That's why these commercials are so great, and that's why they're so good. But at the end of the day, while I can appreciate a good commercial, while I can enjoy being entertained by the commercials during this game, I want to know one thing. Does it work? Does the product work? Does drinking a bottle of Pepsi really give me a six-pack? And does it really make me a great athlete? Does putting on a Darth Vader mask really give me the power to start the Volkswagen car? Does eating a Snickers really satisfy And does it really take away all of my anger? Does it work? This morning we're going to look at something that does, in fact, work. The prophet Isaiah is writing to God's people, and he's trying to get a message across to them, trying to get them to turn to the Lord, trying to get them to listen to the Word of God. Isaiah, in our passage today, simply says this, God's Word works. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 13, as I read and we see how God's Word works today. Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 13. And I invite you to stand out of respect for God's Word. Isaiah 55, starting at verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord. For an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us in your word here this morning. Open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. And Father, open our eyes to see how your word is working in us and through us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah begins this section here with a beautiful, beautiful promise. He says that God's word works. It accomplishes its purpose. And he says in the first two verses in chapter, verse 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, 
and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God deliberately sends his word for a purpose. The Lord speaks through Isaiah in this text, pointing out a simple, natural fact that we just look out the window and we see today. It snows. It snows for a purpose and rains for a purpose. What for? When the snow falls and when the rain falls, what happens outside? It gets wet. It gets wet. God sends the rain and the snow for a purpose, to water the land. And when you go outside, when I walked to church this morning, I put on a coat so I would not get wet. As soon as I got in, all this snow started melting on my head, and I got wet anyways. should have worn a hat. But that's what happens when we go outside in the rain and the snow, because that's what it does. It provides moisture. God sends it for a purpose. Now, I don't need to explain to you here in rural America why we need moisture. You guys understand probably more than anyone. But Isaiah takes a chance here to explain. He says, when these things come, the earth is watered. And what happens when the earth is watered? It produces. It produces because God causes it to produce. He fulfills his purpose through it. There's a purpose to the rain and the snow. God uses it to provide our daily bread, to sustain life here on this earth. We couldn't live without it. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. We can't live without moisture. The promise here in verse 11 is that God's word also accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it. And as a pastor, this is probably one of my favorite verses, knowing that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so much what I say, but God works through his word, and it matters what God's word says. This promise gives me hope, and it gives me comfort. And this promise ought to give all believers comfort as well, that God works through his word. God promises to work through his word. He says it never comes back empty. It always accomplishes what God sent it out for. And as Isaiah is called into God's service, this is the first thing that God tells him. In Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah is called into ministry, God tells him this. He says, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their ears, eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. God's word works. And the working of God's word through the message of Isaiah during the time of Isaiah was he was hardening these obstinate people. That as Isaiah proclaimed God's word to them, they rejected the message and they hardened it. And as we've been studying in Sunday school class, that caused them to go into exile. That caused them to experience judgment. God was working through his word, judging his people. But God also works through his word to call his people to himself. Because God is working through his word, that means that Isaiah's ministry didn't fail. That even though Isaiah didn't get to see masses of people coming back to repentance and coming back to worship in the temple of God, it doesn't mean Isaiah's ministry failed. God's word always accomplishes its purpose. So as Isaiah was faithful to God's word, faithful to the message that God called him to speak, his message was successful. His ministry was successful. 
God accomplishes his purpose through his word. Though Isaiah didn't get to see the results by faith, but by faith he held fast and continued to preach, knowing that God's word will not come back empty and void. And after about 700 years, after Isaiah finishes his ministry, God's word would come again. And God's word would not go back without, without accomplishing what God had sent it for. The word would become flesh and dwell among us. The word would finish the job that God had sent it for. Jesus would come and accomplish salvation. He would overcome temptation. He'd be crucified, dead, and buried as we confess in the creed. He would raise again, defeating death, the devil, and sin. And he would come to seek and to save the lost. God sent his word, and Jesus fulfilled his mission. His word is still living and active today. And the Holy Spirit is still working through God's word, convicting of sin, calling us to repentance, and creating faith in our otherwise dead hearts. And this is what gives me hope. And this is what gives us as believers hope, that God is working through his word. So as we read, as we study, as we hear God's word, it's impossible to remain neutral. It's impossible to walk out of church this morning unchanged by God's word because it always accomplishes its purpose. It's either received unto salvation or it's rejected unto judgment. God is working through his word and God's word accomplishes its purpose. What does God's word do? How exactly does it work? Isaiah answers that question here for us in verse 12. It says, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. God's word works. It releases. He will go out with joy. That phrase that God is saying here, he's not talking to a middle school boy saying who you should date. He's talking to God's people who are in bondage, saying, you will go out with joy. No longer will you be in bondage anymore. The audience that Isaiah is writing to is God's people before they go off into captivity. This message was for them as they were coming back. They would soon be captured again and be led out of the promised land. They would be exiles. And again, we've been looking at that in Sunday school class. And if you haven't had the chance to come, I'd invite you to come and hear about what God is doing through his people and for us in the Old Testament. But here at the end of Isaiah's ministry comes another promise that God's word releases. That as he says, you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Isaiah is writing to God's people saying, you're not going to live in Babylon forever. You will come back to the promised land. And when you do, there will be joy once again. As the people left for exile, they would wonder, did God abandon me? They would wonder, we no longer have the temple. Could God still dwell among us? They would wonder, am I too far gone? Is it too late for me? But as they were brought back to the promised land, as the temple was rebuilt, as they were brought back to worshiping the Lord again, they would know it's not too late for me. They would know that God has not rejected his people. They would know that they are still God's people. They would be back in the land that God had promised and experience once again his steadfast love. When God's people are brought back to the promised land, it's truly a joyous time. Isaiah writes that even the mountains and the hills will be shouting for joy. Now He's not literally saying mountains will be jumping and shouting for joy. It's poetry here. 
poetry showing that this message of joy can't be contained just to God's people, that all of nature will be experiencing this joy. It's poetic language pointing to the uncontainable joy of what God is going to do. But if we limit this passage just to the Jews returning to Jerusalem, the shout of joy will only be temporary. The shout of joy won't last. Yet God's word is still releasing captives from captivity. God is still releasing prisoners from prison doors and letting captives free. Jesus says to a group of believers who believe in him in John chapter 8, he says these words, If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus goes on to say this, If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus releases people not only from the physical bondage of Babylon, but from our spiritual bondage into sin, our spiritual bondage into death. He releases people through his word. He does this through the work of his Holy Spirit. As we studied in confirmation class, as you probably remember from when you were just little kids, Luther explains this work of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit calls us through the gospel enlightens us with his gifts, sanctifies and preserves us in the true faith, and at the last day will raise us up and all the dead, granting everlasting life to all who believe in Christ. As God works through his word, as the Holy Spirit is applying the word of God to our own lives, creating faith, forgiving sin, and giving us assurance of salvation, he releases us from the bondage of sin and death, he releases us from the bondage of legalism and works righteousness. He releases us of the bondage of trying to earn a perfect score. And he gives us instead Christ's perfect score. That means death doesn't have the final say. That means sin doesn't have the final say. Satan doesn't have the final say. And this means our neighbors don't have the final say either. Our teachers don't have the final say on whether or not we are saved. Jesus has the final say. Jesus, the Word made flesh, has nailed to the cross every sin that we've ever done and has paid the price for it so that we can no longer be slaves to sin. God's Word works and it releases us from bondage. The good news continues in verse 13. It says, instead of a thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. As Isaiah is writing this poetic verse here, he's not focusing on what kind of trees are going to be back when God's people come back. He's not saying, if you guys are good enough gardeners to get rid of all of these bad things and plant enough good things, then God will bring his people back. That's not the point which he is making. Instead, he has a bigger focus here. He's saying that God's word works. It reverses the curse. God's word works. It reverses the curse. Isaiah writes about the thorn bush and the nettle being replaced. He's saying no longer will they grow. Where there once was weeds, where there once was the curse, would instead be life and freedom. You remember when the thorn bushes came around when they first are mentioned in Scripture, when they first come to this earth. It wasn't original to creation. But in Genesis 3, after Adam's sin, God tells him he cursed the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. 
Thorn bushes are here because of the result of sin in the world. Nettles are here. Briars are here. Weeds in your fields, farmers, are here because of a result of sin in this world. A daily reminder that there is sin. Sin affects more than just the sinner. It affects all of creation. Paul writes in Romans that all creation itself will be set free from the curse, from its slavery to corruption, and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And Jesus tells us in his word that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. In Revelation, he says that, Behold, I am making all things new. All will be made new. In this world, we groan along with creation, waiting and praying for the day when this curse is gone. For you farmers, as you spray your crops, as you weed your fields or gardeners, thinking ahead to the day when Christ comes back and there will no longer be any more weeds. There will no longer be any thorns or thistles. No more pain, no more agony, no more death, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more devil. God promises in his word that it will happen. That the devil and all evil will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God's word works. It reverses the curse. On this side of eternity, we wait for its final fulfillment. But we don't have to wait until the end. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to rid ourselves of this curse, to have this curse reversed for us. We wait for the end for the devil and his angels and all evil to be thrown into hell. But in the meantime, we don't have to live under the curse anymore. God's word says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul wrote that to say that you can be freed from the curse. You don't have to live under it anymore. We still are surrounded by it. We still live amongst the thorns and the weeds, amongst the evil, the pain, and the suffering here in this world. But this life we live, we live by faith, knowing that one day God will come back for us, knowing that one day God's going to deal with all these weeds, these thorns, this evil. He's going to deal with the devil, or we'll never be bothered by him ever again. One day, God will restore this creation to the way it was supposed to be, back to the perfection that it was before the curse, before sin entered this world. But how can we know this? Everything in our lives is pointing to something other. Everything in our lives is pointing to the opposite fact. The world isn't getting any better. There aren't any less thorns or any less nettles or briars or anything like that. As we watch the news, as we look at our own fields, we see it's just getting more and more and more. So how can we know that this is true? How can we know that God's word works? Isaiah finishes this chapter by pointing us to memorial and an everlasting sign so that we can know. That everlasting sign, that memorial that is set up that will not be cut off is the cross. The cross It's where Jesus dealt with the curse, where he reversed it for all who believe and trust in him. The cross is where God released all people from the bondage of sin and death, where he has brought victory and freedom for us, where Christ went through that for us. 
The cross is where God accomplished his way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh. The cross is where we see this work of the word of God to save us. When we see our own sin upon his shoulders, when we see his love for us, his purpose for us, his salvation for us, his desire for us, the cross is where he accomplished peace with God for us. God's word works. It doesn't come back empty or void without accomplishing its purpose for which God sent it. God sent the word of God made flesh to seek and to save the lost. And through the word of God, he is continuing to do that. So whenever anyone thinks that he or she can do without hearing the word of God, when we think this, we discard the way in which God works in us. We might behold the beauties of God's created world and wonder at the glory of the majesty and see all these things around us that point us to a beautiful creator, a wise creator. But none of those things save us. There's one thing that saves us. There's one thing that tells us what Jesus has done for us, and that's the word of God. Only his word can do that. And when our sinful flesh complains about the plain and sometimes dull proclamation of God's word, whether it's from my preaching, I try to be engaging, I try to be relevant to you as well and to make it, have it make sense, whether it's through someone else's preaching, whether it's through Sunday school lessons, or whether it's through your own devotional time when we look at God's word and we say, ah, I gotta do this again. God is working through his word all of the time. It doesn't come back empty or void without accomplishing the purpose for which he sent it. We must remember that God's word works in our hearts. And praise God that his word works. That through his word, through Jesus, he has accomplished salvation for us. That through his word, the Holy Spirit applies this work to us. Through his word, God is still calling sinners to the Savior. He's still convicting of sin and showing us what the Savior has done to forgive us from all of our sin. His word still goes forth today and it will not return empty. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it works. Lord, we thank you that through your word you are convicting us of our sin. You are convicting us of our need of a Savior. Lord, you're showing us that you have kept the perfect score for us. And we're no longer judged on our own actions, our own works, our own deeds, but we're judged by Christ and his righteousness as we come to you in repentance and faith. We praise you for that. Jesus, help us to hold on to the promises that you give us in your word, even when life seems to point otherwise. Help us to know that your word does not come back empty without accomplishing the purpose for which you sent it. And that one day, you will reverse the curse once and for all and take us home to be with you forever. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.